I am hellbent on building trust again. Trust in our community, us and them, and whoever us and them are. We can be together again, and what makes us different makes us beautiful, and we can celebrate our differences and at least at the minimum be respectful of differences. But I also want to build trust in the board and, and in the school and most certainly in our teachers. Trust has been the biggest casualty of all. Welcome to the Eans Parents United podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Silva. Join me for meaningful conversations and timely information about Eans School District, its past, present, and where we all hope, for the good of our children, it's heading. Welcome, everybody. We are here with uh, Chandler Hatchett. She is a candidate for Board of Trustee seat number three. Miss Hatchett is 35 years old, married since 2011 to her husband and love, Franklin, a former professional golfer, and currently working in the oil and gas industry. She has three children, a son eight and daughter five, both attending Cedar Creek, and if you can believe it, a six-month-old daughter, newborn. From an education standpoint, she is a 100% Eanes kid. All five of her siblings went to Eanes ISD. She grew up here in Westlake Hills as a Texas native, attended Valley View and Eanes Elementary, Hill Country Middle School, Westlake High School, graduating in 2006. She went on to Baylor, graduating in 2010 with a major in journalism and a minor in Spanish. She entered the workforce uh, as an intern at The Early Show on CBS in New York City, and then finished as a high school Spanish teacher, teaching all grades at Naaman Forest High School in Garland, Texas, before moving back to Westlake Hills in 2020. In her interview, we hit on many subjects, including her views on paying teachers more, improving board communication, and putting students first. As is normal with this podcast, no topic is left untouched, including DEI, library books, the bond, and we even get her views on pending Texas legislation that will affect our children. Enjoy this episode with Miss Chandler Hatchett. Thank you for being here, Chandler. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell everyone, what was the moment that you decided to choose to run for trustee? Because I, I do know that you have a six-month-old baby at home. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and you have two other children in the district right now. So you have plenty of other things to do. Plus, yes. you have a husband at home. I'm not sure if he <laughs> takes care of you or you take care of him. I'm not sure. Right now, he's been taking care of me. Yeah. Like, what... Are you nuts? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you. What? Why are you doing this? What happened? Yeah, it's. I. I tell people it's equal amounts of passion and uh, and crazy. So I, you know, I grew up here in Eanes and I lived in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, we decided to move back home to Austin to raise our kids in Eanes because I loved the experience I had here. And you know, when I got back here, it was 2020, and I was relatively disheartened when I realized I didn't recognize us anymore. And I think none of us recognized who the community became in 2020 in the world. And you, But you had the experience. Mm -hmm. You went to Eanes your entire uh, childhood. All of your siblings went to Eanes yes. their entire childhood. You lived in the district. And so when you say 
you couldn't recognize that you're coming from that place. Exactly. Yeah. I, it was the us versus them, the hate, the vitriol, the anger, um, the fear, and and specifically knowing what the community had looked like growing up and what I valued so much of. I think I was even more disheartened at what I saw. And so as my son began kindergarten and um, he started kindergarten 2021, so it was, you know, people, everything, just everybody was just extra inflammatory mm-hmm. at that year. And so I didn't know what it would look like year after year for him. I didn't know if we were going to lose that beautiful thing that we had had with this unified community prior. And then I got pregnant and I delivered my most recent baby in October. Mm, congratulations. And thank you. A little girl. A little girl. I met her. She's oh, absolutely. Thank you. A little butterfly. I'm pretty upset. She comes to all my like campaign mm, things with yeah. me. So people do know her probably better than they know my other kiddos. Mm. But um, I remember being in the hospital with her and getting an a bunch of emails from people about Spanish immersion. So mm-hmm. uh, days after she was born, this announcement for the Spanish immersion program had come out from the the district. And I immediately, it was going to affect my daughter who's about to in, start kindergarten. And so days later, we had our very first town hall that Dr. Arnett was having. It was at my, my kid's school, Cedar Creek. Uh-huh. And I strapped my newborn to my chest and I walked mm-hmm. into the school because I had to advocate for my my incoming kindergartner. I didn't have yeah. to make sure that her needs were met. And so went to go, you know, fight that fight. And in the midst of that, I got plugged into this group of parents who have all wanted to see the program thrive. And they've all wanted to find solutions for the program and not just for the kids inside the program, but the kids outside the program. And they were all different, different political affiliations, different religious affiliations, different backgrounds, different languages, different cultures. But they were all coming together to do what was best for students. And I looked around and I thought, oh, my goodness, there's hope. It was those group of parents that gave me hope that maybe we're not that far apart. And Mm -hmm. maybe with the right leadership, the right communication, we could potentially get back there again. And so I I just kind of felt convicted in my heart. Instead of having these opinions, I need to put my my money where my mouth was and kind of go for this Hail Mary pass to do what I could do to bring my community back and do what's best for our kids because when we're divided the way we have been, our kids are going to fall. They're going to be the ones who deal with the consequences of that, the fallout of it. Now, you're, um, as if listeners, listeners don't know, right now the Spanish Immersion Program is on the chopping block or it has been canceled. Well, is going to be canceled. They're, they're really questioning it now and it's sort of in maybe purgatory, right? So, and actually this is probably a great, Wait, place to clarify that because I know that yeah. this is not on everyone's radar. This sure. is this affects four out of the six elementary schools where the where the program exists. So essentially, the program was rolled out years ago. The first group of students at Cedar Creek Elementary who started in kindergarten are now in fifth grade. So it's the program has existed for five years, and it was rolled out really quickly and I think too quickly to a bunch of different campuses. And so. As the program has been implemented, and then on top of that, we add in the two and a half, three years of crazy that we have with the pandemic, um, the program has had some significant issues pop up, not just for the students outside the program, logistic issues with uh, with 
with class sizes and the number of students um, in those class sizes that are requiring specific differentiations in their curriculum. And so it's creating more pressure on those teachers. But it's also we're starting to see some changes within the program and test scores. And we don't know if that's a side effect of the program or a side effect of of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so the district is now having to really look at this and and, and we're in kind of a, a really tough spot. And a lot of families are affected by this because the kids that and the parents that are in the program are really proud of it. And it's a, it's a yeah. fantastic program and it's really, really worthy. Um, but we can't negate the fact that there are parents who feel that the existence of the program is making things harder for their child. I also hear that there's a a bit of a bugaboo amongst the teachers themselves because the Spanish immersion teachers are paid a stipend or paid more um, yeah. because they're working harder, taking on more responsibility. So the the teacher stipend thing is a really interesting thing. And I, I, I had a board member when I was talking to him about this issue. He looked at me and he said, well, teachers wouldn't be complaining if the Spanish immersion program didn't exist. And I said, no, teachers wouldn't be complaining about a stipend if we actually paid them what they're worth. All the teachers. All the teachers. So the Spanish immersion program is something near and dear to your heart. And as I review your resume, you got a minor in Spanish from Baylor. I did. And you were a Spanish teacher in a high school. Yes. And and uh, over in the Dallas area. Yes. And if I if I'm correct, that would make you, if you were elected, you would be the only board member that's seated that actually has taught anything in like 10 or 15 years or even longer. Is that right? I think within the the last decade. Okay. One thing that I have observed is that the board of directors kind of just votes on everything as a, a monolith. Now they may be voting yes on everything because they want to put a united front forward. Maybe there's dissension in the back. In the, in the back rooms, uh, perhaps there is, uh, no one would know. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of diversity of thought on the board. And I'm wondering, you know, how you see the current board of trustees, would you be coming onto the board to influence uh, different directions, different ideas, or do you see yourself in agreement with where the board has been going and, and you're going to be a coalescing force to keep them on the current direction? You know, that's a great question. So I've had the chance to sit down and speak with every single board member. I, I only ask great questions. I know you do. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I had the chance to sit down and meet with every single board member. And I've learned a lot about the process after having met with them. And there are studies that show that that the most successful school districts are the ones with a unified board of trustees. And I would say that a lot of the things that board members are voting on, like, well, does, you know, Hill Country Middle School need a new sewage system because there's raw sewage on the... Of course. You know, then, yes. There's consent agendas. Consent. Sure, there, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I would say that I think that the climate of our community, I think the climate of the world has changed. And I think that I, I'm sure there is dissension. It's been more closed doors. But I think that that might be hurtful mm-hmm. um, a little bit now. I think that when there's no when when the community can't see that there's somebody saying but 
think about this, but what about this? I think they start to feel like they don't have a voice. And I think that that's been probably the primary issue going on is that there are parents who feel that decisions are being made without their input. Uh, There are members of the community that feel maybe that they don't have a voice. And I don't, after having met with every board member, I, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I felt like I didn't have a voice, but now after having met, I feel better. But I would say I think that it's important for our community to see that there has been disagreement there or there mm-hmm. has been a little bit of arguing back and forth. Yeah. It doesn't have to be out in public, but I, I, I do think that that could be communicated and it would be helpful to our yeah. community. Um, and so I don't my goal is not to overthrow. the. I, I, if I wanted to, I would have run against an incumbent. My goal is to soften the edges a bit and to. I mean, by the nature of who I am, I represent something completely different um, than what we already have. I have elementary aged children. There's no one currently raising their hand and saying, what about these the babies? What about these kids? Um, No one on the board has elementary children except for... Ms. Balthazar, who has grandchildren. Yes, which I would be willing to, to say that you're probably more likely to fight for your grandchildren than your own kids. But, yeah. you know, I'm in the thick of it. I know exactly what these elementary kids or students, parents are going through. And um, I think they need a voice. Yeah. I know they need a voice, especially now in this after Nashville and looking around and thinking, wow, we really have a lot of work to do to secure yeah. our elementary campuses. Yeah. There's no transparency into what's going on in the board's uh, minds. I've reached out to board members to come on a peer, and except for Ms. Balthazar that came on for purposes of her campaign, no board member will come and appear and answer questions. Really? No. And just told wow. flat out, no, not interested. No matter all the good work we're doing and all the wonderful people that are here and the parents and the other leadership, none of them uh, will appear and come just have a normal conversation, just like you and I are having. Wow. And so- that type of transparency or that view into how they're thinking is really important. Will you pledge to make yourself available to come on here to, you know, get out in the community and make your thoughts available for the public to hear? Yes. You will. Good. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that I would that like commitment. to commit to communication. It has been so my three pillars of <laughs> that I'm telling everybody are safety and security, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the third one is building trust. And I am hellbent on building trust again. Yeah. Trust, trust in in our community, us and them, and whoever us and them are. We, we, yeah. we can be together again. What makes us different makes us beautiful. And we can celebrate our differences and at least at the minimum be respectful of differences. But I also want to build trust in the board yeah. and, and in the school and most certainly in our teachers. Yeah. Trust has been the biggest casualty of all. And I would love to do, and golly, Dr. Arnett has done the best job starting that process. Yeah. And I would love to follow in his footsteps there, continuing the communication and showing yeah. you know, people I'm listening. Let's change gears and let's touch some of the more controversial things. Yeah. Um, let's go in the direction of DEI. Okay. Um, I say controversial. Those are my words, <laughs> not yours. Um, parents like myself, I've, make, I've made it no mystery about how I feel. I feel that the program or the movement is really, a young, you know, DEI is really a younger sibling of SEL, uh, maybe a first cousin of CRT, um, just different letters, kind of repackaging of the same kind of non-academic stuff. On a previous podcast, I told uh, Miss Calixtine that it's everything and nothing at the same time. But 
the fact is, I'll accept the DEI is here. It's here to stay. But it started with no real data. You know, um, I re- recall having guests early on season one, including uh, Dr. Arnett. And, you know, where's the data saying um, that we need it? And where's there? How do we measure it? And he said, you know, not everything meaningful needs to be measured. And I'll I'll give him that. He's a superintendent and I respect his view. So it's here to stay going forward as as if you are seated and um, you're on the board and they're going to continue to talk about DEI, will you be looking for measurements um, that demonstrate to you that it really is working, whatever it is? Yeah. I. So I'll tell you, I grew up in the, grew up in the district. I'm a product of Westlake. And um, I will tell you that I don't know if we, if there's even a way to equate data to find the need, but I can tell you as a student in this district we had room for improvement here. We had a lot of room for improvement. And, you know, a DEI has become something so much bigger than I think what it truly is in its essence. Uh, it is DEI is something that any good teacher has been already doing in their classroom. We And we can get into that more, which is why I would say I'm a fan of DEI. I'm a believer that we need it. I think every single child needs to be seen and safe and in order for learning to even begin. But I will tell you in terms of measuring it, the district at the most recent board meeting did a parent, student, and staff climate survey, and they did their presentation on that. And there were some indicators. Now, granted, we're talking with 6th through 12th grade. There were some indicators that a good large percentage of students didn't feel like they were seen as an individual by their teacher. Now, you know, I don't know how, to what extent I ever felt seen as an individual yeah, how in does a, grade. How does a child know that? It's such, a, it's such an obtuse thing. It's like right. asking a child, do you belong? Right. But you I know, will like, tell you, and, and there, the the I feel like I belong, that was a higher percentage. Like there's somewhere I belong. There's a mm-hmm. group of kids I belong with. Mm-hmm. But being seen as an individual by my teacher, as a teacher, like it was a gut punch when I saw that percentage. And I'd love to go back and actually get that percentage. I should have written it down and brought mm-hmm. it here. I don't know how, how measurable it is. But instead of slapping DEI into curriculum, I would love to empower our teachers to feel more able to help children navigate on their own some of these more complex issues. And when we think about E, equity, you and I had this conversation earlier. In a classroom, equity is, it's a teacher's, it's part of teaching 101. You have to create equity in your classroom. You have to meet your the students' needs as they are. Yeah. So if there's a student who's performing below, we have to provide, as the educator, as the district, we have to provide resources for that student. If the student is performing above, we should provide extra opportunities for that student so that we're meeting every single student's needs. And that that's a it's a wide range of what makes it an equitable experience in the classroom. But it it has become a scary term, but in and of itself. It's it's mandatory if you're going to reach every child. And in the um, environment of a school, equity can be possible because the teacher uh, can adjudicate these things. But exactly. there's no equity outside of school. Once in the in the real world, it does not exist. I, I don't it, think it exists in the real world. No. It's unfortunate, but we, all we can do is prepare our students. The, we can create an equitable experience within the schools. Let's let's stay on the DEI topic just a little bit longer, but with a twist. 
I want to play for you a conversation that I had with the um, one of the co-founders of the Eans for Equity Committee and um, a very influential and prominent DEI proponent, uh, Darshana Kalikstein, a conversation yes. her and I had last year. Listen to this clip, and then um, I'll ask you some questions on the other side. So in the institutional environment, if you think of parents as the customer mm -hmm. and the student as the beneficiary and the teacher as the company, where is DEI addressing? Is it? I, I, I think of students as the customer. You think the student is the customer. So who are the parents then? If the students are the customer and we know the teacher is the worker, what are the parents? I, I'm not sure it applies in this. I know okay. I'm just, you're asking me to kind of fit into yeah. your analogy. I, I do think that the students are the primary reason where we're all here. Mm -hmm, so that's sure. why I, I think of them as the customer. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that the parents are the beloved guardians and protectors and advocates. I don't know. Maybe they're the, in your analogy, maybe they're the... Uh, Oversight, mm -hmm. <laughs> like some oversight agency. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to that. So are the parents the customer? Who's the customer? So um, Darshan is actually a friend of mine. We Our kids go to Cedar Creek together. And she and I actually had this conversation over lunch one day. And I did not. I have since listened to that episode. So I know this clip. But prior to that, I had not listened to the episode. So um, And you had no idea I was going to play no this clip. I had no idea you were going to play this clip for me. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because I had said to her, you know, when I first became an educator, I read a book that, that another teacher had recommended to me. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that it was Teaching for Dummies. And it was actually one of the most profound books that I could read on, on the subject. And um, in the book, there was an entire chapter on who is the customer. And he talks about all the different ways you can think about it, but that the most successful teachers look at it this way. He says that the goal of teaching, when people would like, when I thought about as a teacher what my a job description was. It was to create a successful, engaging member of society. So knowing that that is the goal, then the, the student is, you know, the, the good. That's the what that's the product, what we're going to put out into the real world. And, and, and there's a lot of pride in Ian specifically in who we send out into the world and what those adults can go out and accomplish. But that leads to the next step, which would be that the parent, especially because we're dealing with minors here, the parent is the customer. But they're the customer not because they're coming in and they're and there are there's taxpayers as public education, but not because they're coming in and expecting you to just make this. I'm snapping over here. Just produce yeah. this uh, this adult version of their child. You're working alongside the parent. Because they're also doing the same thing you're doing. You're just doing it inside a school and they're doing it outside the school. You're coming together to raise up a child into an adult and to do it in a great, successful, meaningful way. And so I think that the parent, based on teaching for dummies, I'll tell you, the parent is the yeah. customer. I don't think that Darshana is really all that off, though, in her understanding that we still have to provide a service to our students. And it has to be an, a, a 
a, a holistic service. It can't just be, For sure. you know, so I, I, I don't want to say that, yeah, I read the book and the book told me that the parent is the customer, but it's a little bit more nuanced yeah. than that. All right. Next topic. Let's, uh, let's turn to something really easy to discuss. Library books okay. and sexually explicit material. I will uh, tee this up by playing for you, unfortunately, a um, parent that came in and read a book that has been read in front of our uh, board of trustees many times and many other books like it over the last couple years. I just want to get your reaction as a potential trustee, uh, what you think about this book and what we might be able to do about it. A book named Me and Earl and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews. What? She's, are you going to eat her p***? Earl can be sort of profane sometimes. He's actually mellowed out a lot since the middle school days, believe it or not. Back in middle school, he would have asked this in a much more violent and horrible way. Hey, Earl. Yeah, I'm going to eat her p***. Yeah? Yeah. Do you even know how to eat p***? Uh, not really. Papa Gaines never sat you down and said, son, one day you're going to have to eat the p***. No, but he did teach me how to eat a hole. I would teach you some p*** eating technique, but it's a little complicated. Well, that's a shame. I would need some diagrams and whatnot. Well, tonight, maybe you can draw some up for me. Son, I don't have time for that. I got like 20 p*** over here that I need to eat. Is that right? I'm on a p*** deadline. You've got 20 vaginas all lined up in a row. What the heck? No one's talking about vaginas. Greg, what the heck is wrong with you? Man, that's nasty. I'm sorry you had to hear that. Yeah, I um, didn't like that. <laughs> no, I didn't like it either. And even as uh, we prepared this episode, our producers, you know, we had to listen to it again. We're like, just unbelievable. But that's the type of stuff that's, uh, you know, that parents have put in front of the board of trustees these last two years, and they have done Nothing. Nothing. Uh, except for recently, Mr. Arnett has put in a very, you know, reasonable policy to start categorizing the books, the the different. Uh, but from my view, I don't know how our board can sit there and not muster the courage to do the right things and a, a different level to allow our parents to come in month after month and humiliate themselves publicly reading these books. Well, not, and not to mention if there's a student in the crowd, then and, the student's oh, having to hear that as oh, well. That's right. And um, and this book is still has been put up for uh, consideration and has not been removed um, and many other books. So, you know, my question uh, for you really is I can tell by looking at your physical reaction, <laughs> uh, how you feel about it. How are you? I mean, are you going to sit there? like the rest of the board when this is uh, this comes up and not respond and just continue to hold that uh, you know monolithic sort of you know blank stare and not be willing to do something about it or try to do something about it so in my personal work I'm an advocate for anti-human trafficking and online exploitation I am very concerned about what our students are act- accessing um, technology I'm concerned with what our students are accessing at home, and I'm concerned with what our students are accessing um, at school. And I, I do not want sexually sexually explicit content. I don't. I don't think any minor should be accessing sexually explicit content. That that what we just heard to me is sexually explicit. Mm-hmm. And I, I, 
I can't. I do not know that book. I do not know what the reasons would be where they were. They're arguing to keep that particular book in our libraries. I'll tell you, I'm not for banning books. I think that very rarely should a book be banned. But sexually explicit content—that is probably the one thing I could say that parents across the district would agree on. We don't want sexually explicit materials. That was really hard to hear. I did yeah. not like that book at all. On that note. Um... Uh, I think one of the reasons the board has sat there and not had action for these two years is they've been waiting for the legislature to do something about it. And it appears there may be something coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. This appears to be being addressed in the state legislature uh, with House Bill 900 called the Reader's Act. So um, House Bill 900 is interesting because it's putting pressure outside of just the schools. Um, And specifically, it's requiring book vendors to identify, review, and rate all the books that have sexually explicit references and materials in them. Uh, And I do think that there's some good in that that that's taking the pressure off of our school librarians and off of our schools and and requiring the vendors. But I am concerned about that the vendors are not the appropriate place for this. It needs to go to the publishers. And so while the state of Texas is, I mean, the the thought is great. I don't think this is this bill is actually going to do what we need it to do. We need a third party grading system for our for our school content. Like we've got it with with movies. They rated R, they rated PG thirteen, or the PG. It's one third party that can make sure and vet these books because our poor school district can't vet all the extra books that our technology yeah. is bringing in. And so I am not for banning books. I do want to make sure our ki- what our kids are accessing is uh, developmentally appropriate and safe and empowering. Um, but I am far more concerned with what our kids are going to access on school technology, specifically yeah. in this case. That's yeah. exactly what happened. Okay. Let's come back to some less controversial stuff. Yes. Um, Tell me, where do you stand on the upcoming largest tax increase in Eanes history that we're about ready to do on our property taxes? The bond. <laughs> Are you for or against the bond? I remember I told you I'm student first. I'm uh-huh. for the bond. Okay. Why are you for it other than being student? What is it about that makes it student first? Well, it it's student first because majority of the th- – not majority, the vast, vast majority of these uh, issues that we're seeing in the bond that it's going to resolve, that it's going to pay for, are costs that we will have to pay no matter what. And those costs will come out of our MO fund. And our mm-hmm. MO fund is also where we pay our teachers from. So mm-hmm. if we can pass this bond that will help eliminate some of those costs from our MO and then and not be limited by recapture then we can then free up that extra space to give it where I think that our money should be going to the most, and that's to pay our personnel. But I'm going to implore your listeners right now, this moment, my child, my children are in elementary school campuses. And so if you have a chance for your taxes not to shift at all and them to stay the same, but you can help secure my child's campus and keep my child safe from a potential school shooter, please do the right thing. That's being student first. Yeah, agreed. Now, I'm not advocating against the bond or for the bond. <laughs> I'm just calling what it is. Yeah, it's a tax increase. Absolutely, but I'm going to ask people to pass it, yeah. please. And there's no <laughs> All three um, propositions. And right now, there is no known money in there for. Obviously, you can't uh, use a bond to pay for personnel, so there right. is no known money for security personnel in there. But it is possible, as a result of the bond, there may be more M and O money that could be used for security. Yes. 
Um, and when I was with Miss with uh, Mr. Trimble yesterday, you know, he's not in a he can't commit one way or the other. But I know this is topic of discussion. Yes, I agree with you. Um, we need security officers, but what what we also need equally as important, uh, but. Uh, for the primary reason a school exists is we need teachers. Yes. And yes. even though we got a raise last year, a midpoint raise, um, mm. we're still not paying our teachers enough. Oh, it's so bad. So what are you going to do if elected or what are you going to try to influence to get our teachers um, uh, to be paid more? And I, I will throw in there that um, if they're, you know, right now we have about a $2 million surplus this year and next year they think about a $1 million surplus. Um, is the goal to go out and immediately spend that money and pay teachers more with an understanding that our population is decreasing. We have less enrolled kids in elementary than ever before and ever before and ever before. Yeah. So we're not going to have the money in future uh, generations to support ever-increasing expenses. So uh, Mrs. Uh, future uh, trustee, I put that <laughs> problem in front of you. What are you going to yeah. do to solve both? Well, I think that's that's the hard part is that the trustees are required to ensure that we are being fiscally responsible. So much of our tax dollars are recaptured, yeah. so much of them, and our teachers deserve far more than we've been able to give them. But mm -hmm. as a former teacher and as someone who values the role so deeply that a teacher is playing on my children's life and in the lives of all of our other students, I... I am gravely concerned about our ability to retain our teachers. And if we cannot pay them more, we have got to do something about offering them ways to support them better. So I was speaking with a teacher today, and he said, listen, I, I had to get an electric vehicle because I drive so far to get to school, so I thought it would save me some money. Do you think we could have, like, a couple of plugins on campus? Wow, what an easy and quick and relatively inexpensive way to support our teacher in that way. I've also d had a discussion, once again, also this morning, with somebody who is helping AISD and Pflugerville ISD implement some amazing uh, housing options for their for their teachers and creating that and making that a real viable option for them. It's it's hard to afford to live in Westlake. So a majority of our teachers, especially on a teacher's salary, they're driving in 30, 45. Even there was a percentage in the climate survey that there are teachers who drive in over an hour to get to to get to campus. And so um, and, you know, I just we, we should be able to support them in other ways. And and we'd certainly have the resources for that as a community. And so I'm just. I'm gravely concerned about it. It's, it's a it's a legitimate concern of mine. Yeah, Got to be other ways to do it than, you know, whining and complaining about recapture. I mean, let's yeah. get past it. It's over. It's law. That's the way it is. But everyone just bitches about this constantly. Yeah. You have to deal with what you have. You can't say I can't do it because the state's taking money from me. Yeah. That's over. We have to do things with what we got. And I hope yeah. you're willing to focus on if you're seated to focus on dealing with what we have, being creative, and trying to get those darn teachers. Because, you know, other school districts are picking them off left and right. Somebody's got to fight for them. Yeah. And I will, I've talked to a lot of teachers who feel that the board meetings are highlight reels and that they're not actually, the issues are not actually being addressed. A dear friend of mine just left the district last year in May, one of my very best friends, left the district last year in May, and another dear family friend of ours just left the district a couple days ago, a couple yeah. weeks ago. And it, 
because they're getting paid elsewhere. Yeah. And to do less work. We what our expectations in this district are, are require a lot of work out of our teachers. And so we we've gotta we've gotta figure out a way to support them better. Um was there anything that you wanted to leave us with that was important you want your voters to to know and we can end on that. Yeah. You get the final word. Okay. Uh, my name is Chandler Hatchett and I am running for school board trustee place three. I love this community. I love this district. I love public education. I was a former teacher. I grew up in Eanes and graduated from Westlake High School. And if I'm elected, I will be the only board member who can say that. I will be the only member board member who can say she's been a teacher within the past 10 years. And I will be the only board member representing parents of elementary age children. My youngest child is six months old. So 18 years from now, I will still have a child in this district. I am fully committed to not just the success of our district today, but the longevity of our success going forward because the excellence of this district has made a significant impact on my life. And I want to make sure that 18 years from now, my child's peers can say the same. Vote for me. Uh, Well said, (laughs) Miss Hatchett. Thank you for coming on to Ian's Parents Unite podcast. I really appreciate you taking your time. Thank you for having me. Wonderful person. I wish you the best of best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Ian's Parents United podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ian's Kids First, ensuring that Ian's prioritizes our children's well-being, honors parental rights and unites our incredible community. To learn more about our mission or to donate to our cause, please visit us at eanskids.com. That's E-A-N-E-S kids.com. If you would like more information about this podcast, contact me directly or give us any feedback, feel free to visit our website at eanspodcast.com or eansparentsunite.com. eansparentsunite.com.